Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Very cool. How you doing? Everybody good? If you're watching at home, it's a little cool, so I have, you know, a little warmer thing going here, but we're good. We're having a, a good service so far, and we think it's going to keep going. That song's great, <clears throat> Better Days Ahead, and it's not just uh, hopeful, you know, oh, I hope it's better. And that's actually kind of predictive of what happens when we learn to do life Jesus' way, and we're going to learn a little bit about that today. So I have to start with uh, a question. How many want me to give just a happy, happy sermon, or, and how many want me to give the one I'm really supposed to give? Happy, happy? How many want me to give the one I really need to give? You asked for it. If you get offended, don't write me. You chose it. Actually, I was, uh, there's a fun little passage here that I wanted to do, and, and we're talking about Matthew, and we've been going through the book of Matthew. If you don't catch the uh, master class on Tuesday nights, you need to do that, because really great. The, the staff just does a great job explaining a lot of things you won't get um, anywhere else, and certainly not just on the weekend. So uh, there's this great passage in, in Matthew chapter 11, and I'm talking about 11 through 13, and Cody can do all of those, and I'm just not as good as him at that. I'm going to actually do something uh, that's just a smaller portion uh, that, that I can handle. So uh, it's, in, it's just a, a verse in chapter 11, and, uh, and I, it really is kind of a familiar verse, and yet if we're not careful, we kind of, uh, kind of gloss over it, take it kind of in a superficial kind of way and don't really understand the deep um, context and meaning and implications of it. So I want to do that today. Matthew 11, starting verse 25 through 30. Uh, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, you need to understand, he's coming off this this thing, and he's in the midst of some stuff with, with John the Baptist. If you look at uh, at the beginning of 11, uh, John the Baptist is in trouble. He's in jail, and he wants to know, are you really the one? Uh, before that, in, in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12. That was interesting. Um, he also talks about, um, in this section, about how he's, uh, he's going to be um, uh, um, crucified. He's disappointed with some of the cities not believing. And so he is kind of identifying some issues. A little later on, we find that, that there's this big controversy about the Sabbath and what you can do on the Sabbath. And so he's kind of saying, there are people who are going to get this, and there are people who are not going to get this. The ones who think they know it all are not going to get this. The ones who, like little children, will listen and learn, will pay attention, they're going to get something uh, out of this eternal life uh, eventually. Uh, and so he talks about little children, so that's the point of that there. Yes, Father, for this is what you're pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. And so he says in verse 28, here's the part that will sound familiar. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so an initial reading of this is if if you're tired and you're worn out, go to Jesus, he'll help you. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But we need to also look at this for a little deeper meaning maybe, because in the midst of the conflict, John's certainly in conflict. He's about to be put to death uh, because he's been teach, teaching that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. Um, and the disciples are going to be persecuted. He warns about that in this section. Uh, and the, the, the Pharisees, the religious types, come after him. 
because he's not doing it the way they th think he should do it. And so in the midst of all this stuff, there is a kind of an added bonus. It's not just if you're tired, and it certainly means that. But on another level, it, it means something more. So it has to do with this thing called legalism. So in this next section, there is the, in the section after this, there is a, um, uh, in verse tw uh, chapter 12, first few verses that, there is a section in which Jesus does a couple of things. His disciples pick seeds and eat them. According to Jewish law, you're not allowed to do work on the Sabbath. Picking the seeds um, is work. Therefore, they are not supposed to do that. Jesus was kind of known to tweak the religious types because he kind of broke their rules. And, uh, and then there is this situation where they're watching him. And there's a guy uh, that's got an issue. And they're watching him to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And he does. And it says they went out to plot to kill him because he did this. Now, you're talking about missing the point. The point was not that he did something on the Sabbath. It was the point that he had the power to heal a guy's hand. Right? They were so caught up in their own rules, their own regulations, their own self-importance, their own self-justification, they missed the bigger picture. God has come. Jesus healed somebody. What else might this guy be up to? And so that is legalism. Legalism is any time that man takes on the, the task of earning God's favor or being justified by their own works or keeping the rules, whatever it is. That's old school legalism, okay? I mean, that's old, old school. When I was a kid, there was a form of legalism, and it had to do with um, like outward uh, signs that you were a righteous person. And so... Um, when I was a really young kid, if you owned a television in your home, you might not be a good Christian. I've come back to that one, by the way. I think that one may have been right. Oh, oh, no. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the women uh, couldn't cut their hair. Men couldn't grow long hair. They weren't allowed to have beards. All these things in, in certain segments of Christianity when I was a little kid um, meant that if you didn't have, that was a sign that you were a good Christian. And so for me, uh, some things that, fortunately, my dad didn't believe most of that stuff, and he taught me to not believe in that. But there were other ways that that kind of legalism crept in. One time, by the way, I was uh, in, uh, in a, 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 a part of the third world, and there was this guy who had been, we would call him a missionary. He'd, he'd been sharing the gospel uh, for many years, since the early 1900s, in another part of the world. And he said, one of the problems is we come, we teach the local people certain things they should do because they're Christians. He said uh, a crude illustration would be that if they don't wear pants, we teach them to wear pants. And so what becomes uh, equated with Christianity is those who wear pants. That's not Christianity, is it? Right? Just as when I was growing up, those, for example, uh, women, when I was a real little kid, they weren't allowed to wear makeup in the churches that uh, we attended, which is too bad because some people... <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so if you don't wear makeup, you're a Christian. That's not it at all. There's no outward kind of thing you can look and say, oh, that's a Christian. The Amish take this to a, you know, we don't use gasoline. Whatever it is, it's called legalism. And it means that I am trying to earn my salvation by my own works. And generally that leads to a couple of bad things. One, A, I can't do it. B, you can't do it either. But I'm going to judge you because you can't do it. I'm going to excuse me because I can't, right? And so legalism is just a bad deal all the way around. Now, as I, before I go further, I've already been advised not to do this section of the sermon by someone that I trust greatly, but not enough to not do it. So here's the, de <laughs> here's the deal. Now, sometimes when people get excited, yay, man, or yay, or they applaud, all right? And, and that's great. 
But um, in this next few minutes, maybe the next seven to 10 minutes, you don't get to applaud if you really like something because it applies to somebody else. You only get to say, oh me, if it applies to you. You follow me? Because this could get real kind of divisive real quick. All right. By the way, I told you the story many times. It's about the lady who lived in the Midwest, and she was just the worst gossip. And she would come to church every week, and she would just sit there and oh, uh huh, yeah, oh, hey, man, yeah. And then and then she would just gossip all week long, and everybody knew it. And so the pastor decided one week he'd had enough, and he was going to teach on gossip. Now most pastors don't target people in their audience, unless they're family members and they deserve it. So. Uh, and so, but this week he decided he would teach on gossip, gossip, and he did. And on the way out, she said what she said every week. She said, Pastor, you really gave it to him today. He's like, well, she didn't get it. So the next week, he comes back, and he preaches on gossip again. But this time, he stands right next to her chair and preaches on gossip. Same thing on the way out. Pastor, you really gave it to him today. The next week, there's a snowstorm. It's in Minnesota, snowstorm. Nobody can make it to church but her because she lives next door. He gets up, he goes, I got her, I got her, I got her this time. And he preaches harder than he's ever preached on gossip. Afterwards, she walks out and she goes, if they'd been here, you'd have got them. <laughs> so in these next few moments, I want you to hear what you need to hear. And not get excited about what somebody else needs to hear. Because I'm going to offend everybody, okay? Myself included. But I want to talk about something I think is really important. And if it hits home for you, you can just let out a, oh, or oh me, or that's me, or just crawl under your chair, whatever you want to do. So now here's, here's the deal. I, I had this, this thought a, a few months ago, and then, and then it was triggered again for me um, by a couple of radio uh, talk show people. I haven't been to listen to talk shows in months. I turned them on because I was traveling this week, and I, I turned them on just because I was bored and decided I'd, I'd listen. They were discussing, these two talk show hosts were discussing, neither of them Christians, maybe exposed to Christianity, some form of Christianity at some point in their life, but certainly not Christians and not religious in any way by their own admission. And they had come across a book somewhere which said the problem with a society in which they don't believe there's a God, and they quoted this, something very familiar to you and I, it's people, even if they don't believe there's a God, and we've excluded God from our society, we still have a God-sized hole in us. I thought, I wonder where they picked that up. I wonder if that was in the book or they got that, because that sounds very familiar language to me, right? And they went on to, to talk about this book, how if you don't have a God to worship because you were created to worship a God, they didn't understand the theological implications for them or for the world in which we live. For them, it was more of an explanation about the divisiveness in our nation right now. And they were saying, if you don't have a God to worship, and they, were, they would grant that even a, a made-up God was good enough, I think. If you don't have a God to worship, you will find something to worship. And you will assign to that thing the importance, the hopes and dreams and the faith that more appropriately, according to me, belong to the true God. And so what they said was that maybe that's why our society is so divided. That in things like politics, we can't have a discussion about opinions. This might be a better way to do it. This might be a better way to do it. We'd like to see this happen. See Having a, a, a conversation and even disagreeing together. You can't do that when you worship that thing that is being discussed. In other words, they, these are secular guys saying, is it possible that we have a society have come to worship, among other things, politics? 
And if we have, we can't have a rational discussion about something that I worship because I have all my hopes and dreams and my faith placed in that thing. So here is what is true. I do believe that we were made with a God-sized hole in us and only God can fill it. And if we don't admit that and don't acknowledge that, we will try to fill it with something else. And there are all kinds of things. We could fill it with trying to earn a whole lot of money. Because here, here's the bottom line. Bottom line is all of us need to be justified. So what does justified mean? If, if there's not a God who will justify me, then I'll have to self-justify. So what does justified mean? It means, you ever seen a little, a little kid when they're starting to walk and, and they walk just a little bit away from mom, but then they'll turn and look at mom? By the way, moms, you know you're in trouble if you have a kid who doesn't turn back to look. You know the next 18 years is you chasing that kid 24-7. But normal kids will stop and look back for reassurance that they're okay, that they're all right, that it's okay. We all need that. We were made to have that from God, to be okay with God and have God tell us that we're okay. If you don't think that's true, let me, let me throw this this scenario and see if it applies to you at all, ever. Have you ever tried to win back or convince somebody to be reconciled to you or that you were right or that you like them, even if you don't really like them very much? Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself hooked by somebody? They're mad at you. There's, there's some, some conflict. There's some separation. You find yourself reaching out to them, trying to convince them it's okay or tell them you're a good person or your motives are pure or you just made a mistake. Or and at the end of the day, you realize, I don't even really like them that much. Have you ever, did that make any sense? You're looking at me like this isn't hitting home at all. Is it just me that's done that? Why is that? Because we want to be okay with God and with each other. As a matter of fact, it's a little pathological if we go around liking it when other people don't like you. It's a little sick on some level, right? Because we are created to be okay with God, to be okay with each other. But if you take God out, we just try to be okay. That's called self-justification. I'm okay because I said I'm okay. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm okay. I'm okay. But you're not. And so we set out to earn a lot of money so that people look at us and go, oh, he's got a lot of money. He's okay. Or we try to get a lot of power, and we get a lot of power. By the way, if we set out to do this by money, what is that number, by the way? Anybody have any idea what that number is? How much do you have to have to be okay? More. More is exactly right. It's always more, which leads us to our conclusion, which is two points later, but thank you for jumping ahead on me. It's the right answer. So not only do, can we not do it by money, because it's always more, we can't do it by power. So if we can't do it by that, then we'll grab power. Do you think Kim Jong-il goes to bed at night feeling like he's okay? I guarantee you, if he's sober, he goes to bed at night scared to death. Because if you rule by power, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. I guarantee you he's not okay nor is anybody else who lives for power. And so then some of us are, some of us are savvy enough to realize that, that people, that, you know, you can't get there by having all the money and all the power. So what we're going to do is we're going to do good. We're going to be do-gooders. And so we're going to save the planet. 
We're going to make sure that everybody has equal opportunities, both good causes, by the way. Good causes, honoring to God, good causes, bad religions. Because even the idea of saving the creation that God made, even saving, isn't going to make you okay. Because okay only comes from your Heavenly Father. It only comes from being in a relationship with the one who created you, living according to his will in that relationship. That makes you okay. And so setting out to save the planet, to make sure everybody has equal opportunities, both fine things, but they're not a religion. They're not the most important thing. They are not the thing that will make you okay. Let me give you one more. During this pandemic, this is one I was told especially not to bring up. During this pandemic, a number of people have questioned us why we're not inside. And, and many of them just because it's more comfortable there or, you know, just want to know. Some people have left our church to go to churches that are inside. And if they're more comfortable, that's fine. But some people have said to me with severe attitude, one of which I probably need to apologize to for the way I responded, maybe, eventually, possibly, probably not. Um, question my courage. You know. <laughs> the implication was this. You don't take your congregation inside because you're afraid. And I wanted to say, and I didn't say it in a very nice way probably, no, I don't take my congregation inside because it's not safe. Nobody would show up and it's not the right thing to do. But what he wanted was me not to worry about my congregation or the people that God has entrusted me, but me to make a statement about where I stand politically or wherever it might be. You see, another thing we do to self-justify is we signal to others that we are righteous by certain things we do. Going inside, saying outside, it's not a signal to me. It is what works, what is best, what is safest. Do you follow me? And so we can try to self-justify in all kinds of ways. We can signal certain things about ourselves. Those people will think, okay, here's the bottom line at the end of the day. No matter who thinks I'm okay, I'm not okay. Unless God says I'm okay, I'm not okay. Unless God says that I am justified, that I am made right because of what happened on the cross, I am not right. I'm not okay. And if everybody in the world said I was okay, but God didn't say you're okay, I'm not okay. And so what he's saying here is legalism will lead you to try to make yourself okay, or at least if you can't make yourself okay, at least convince others you're okay. I had a Christian psychologist talk about this one time. He calls it trying to crawl back into the garden. See, in the garden, we were okay with God. In the garden, we had right relationship with God. We were made for that, and ever since that, we have missed that. And we think somehow we can earn our way back in, sneak our way back in. And here's the real problem. Eventually you realize you can't get enough money, you can't get enough power, you can't do enough good works, you can't put on a good enough show or signal enough, you can't do any of that to make yourself okay. So you pretend you're okay and then you drive those closest to you to get back into the garden and you ruin them. I knew a pastor who just had legalism somewhere inside. It was in his DNA, somewhere from his discipleship, somewhere in there. He drove himself to an early grave and almost wiped out everybody around him because he was so trying to earn God's favor. He didn't preach that. He just lived that. You can't earn God's favor. You can't buy God's favor. Public opinion won't get God's favor. 
problem is if you deny God, you have no hope of getting the okay you're looking for. But legalism sets in. And we try to earn the okayness, if you will, if I can use that phrase. So a few months ago, I found this on my desk today. Uh, A few months ago, I wrote this down because I just felt like there was a new legalism appearing in our nation. Be offended, I don't care. I was having a bad day. It was during the pandemic and I was just ticked at everybody. And I'm being honest with you, okay? I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I felt like there was a new legalism, a new set of rules being imposed on me that I had to somehow live up to for whatever reason. Just go with me for a minute. It's a new, I said, so much new moral law in the world right now. It's motivated by guilt. By the way, the problem with the law was that it it would work if you realized what it was about. You can never earn your way into heaven or to be okay with God by doing the right things. The end of the law was supposed to show you that you couldn't do it and you needed God. That's why Christ came. The new law kind of just caused you to be guilty all the time. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't change fast enough to keep up. And it's on both ends of the political spectrum and everywhere in between. For example, um, yeah, I can't start with that, and that will be divisive. Um, Okay, I'll start with the funny one. I recently found out that we're going to have seven trash cans in our neighborhood. I don't know if it's true, but somebody told me we're going to have seven trash cans. We have to separate out seven kinds of trash. It may be a good thing. It's just seven? (laughs) Somebody please tell me I'm wrong. John, you might know about this. Is that true? It's not true? It's a vicious rumor. Four. Oh, that's so much better. Again, I was just in my office and things were just bugging me that day because I was tired of people telling me how to live. Don't use paper. Separate your trash. Which I understand they're good things. I get okay. Uh, watch your personal pronouns. That one. Wait a minute. Remember my rule. You don't get to applaud what applies to other people. Right? But I was just like, no, I didn't. I, that doesn't even grammatically. We're, I'm confused. Be ready at all times to be offended because everybody needs to be offended these days. Don't talk to people of other races. You might say something that would hurt their feelings. I mean, these are things that I feel are being inculcated through our society. Don't talk about religion because that's offensive. Um, I just think that there are things in our society and, and don't try to understand the other side, whoever the other side is, whatever issue. Don't try to understand the other side because you're compromising. Don't, don't question what this Come on, guys. This is our new set of laws. It's a new way to, to kind of have this, you know, new righteousness. It's baloney. Now, I'm not saying we should be unkind to each other. And I'm not saying we shouldn't learn to speak more appropriately to each other. Absolutely. The Bible says, love God and love your neighbors yourself. That's not even a question. The question is, why are we doing that? Are we trying to somehow be okay in and of ourselves, by ourselves, or is there something more? Is there a God who forgives us? And when we misspeak, someone in the body says, you misspoke, that's not an appropriate. I'm sorry, thanks. See, there's a big difference in Jesus talking about little children. There's a big difference when the grown-ups who seem to know what they're talking about start saying, I know, well, I know. And then there's big disagreement and there's division. And there's all this stuff. What do little kids do? Let's learn to play this together. I'm not very good at life. You're not very good at life. Let's just play together. We'll just have some fun. We'll learn together. 
So what does this passage have to say to us in that situation? Are you with me okay? You, you good? You all right? Not many. Okay, that's all right. I don't, I don't care. This is what I was supposed to say. So what does Jesus say? And I wrote this down. I want to read it because I, I like this. So what does Jesus say to hardworking, badge-wearing, unjustified try-harders? Because we try hard and it doesn't fill us up and we're not okay. And we try harder and we try harder and then we try to make others try harder. What does Jesus say? And he simply says, come. He says, come to me. Not do. By the way, all the legalists, whether in that day or in my youth or in today, all the legalists say do and, and do more and, and do better. Jesus says, no, come. Come to me. You see, it's not in the rules that you find what you're looking for. It's not in in doing better. You will do better after you come, but first come to the relationship that can change everything. He says, come. He says, come to me. The reality is, is that when we realize that we can't measure up, we can't keep all the rules, we can't even keep up with the terminology, we realize that we quit trying so hard and we just come. Like a little kid who tried their best at, at, at doing something, I don't know, running around the order, and they fall on their face. And the picture is here, like the little children, verse 25, come to me, crawl up in my lap. Let me tell you that it's okay. Let me put this in perspective for you. It's not the end of the world. You just got a skin knee. Let me help you. Let me love you through this. Come to me. If you are weary, if you're tired of the rules, you're tired of trying to keep up, you're trying to impress the neighbors, you're trying to do all this, just Stop. Just come to Jesus. As you come, quit pretending you got it all together. Quit trying to self-justify and just come. If you, are will, if you are weary and you are burdened, weary means tired from the struggle, too much trying, too little impact or productive, productivity. Burdened, which is too heavy a load. One of the things that Jesus was talking about here is that people were tired of trying because the Pharisees kept saying, you got all these laws you got to do. There's all these laws, all these things. You can't even pick a seat on Sunday, on the Sabbath rather, and, and eat it. You can't do all that. And the people were just tired from all the laws. And the burden here is like you take a pack animal and you just keep putting stuff on it. Just putting stuff. Matter of fact, when I, I spent a summer in Portugal when I was in college and uh, there was this one farmer and he had, had one donkey and he would pile this donkey so high with hay, so high with it, you could only see four little legs just going down the street. And a lot of people in the world, just all you can just barely see is their legs. They're just trying to hang on, trying to do everything they're supposed to do, trying to be the mom they're supposed to be, trying to be the dad they're supposed to be, trying to do the job that everybody expects. Them, trying to, and they're just so much piled on. Jesus is talking specifically here about the Pharisees' legalism. They've piled on so many rules that people couldn't live, they couldn't thrive, and he was trying to tell them, you don't have to do all that. Stop trying to live by the legalists' uh, rules and start being justified by me. And it says not only that he will, he will help you, it says it's open to all, not just the Jews, not just the Pharisees, to all, to everyone. So he says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give what you're looking for. I will give you that okay, that justification, that peace with God that you are looking for. See, they were doing all the rules to try to somehow be at peace with God. And he said, no, it's not through all that. It is through me. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more try harder, no more do better, no more pretending we are better. It's just God. I grew up with a little bit of a mixed message and I, it wasn't our fault. By the time 
um, I was kind of of an age to understand. We didn't believe any of those things I mentioned earlier, and, and my dad certainly didn't preach them. But somehow in my mind, I had translated the guilt into kind of a both-and kind of thing. I knew theologically that Christ died so that I could be forgiven and I could be made okay with God. I didn't know the word justified, but made okay with God. But at the same time, I had this dualistic mindset in which, yes, Christ saved me, but I got I to gotta earn it. Christ, Christ forgave me, but I got to earn it. And I can't tell you how many nights I went to bed thinking I was lost because I hadn't earned it that day. This isn't something you earn. This is something you receive, you accept, and you live in the forgiveness and the joy and the reconciliation of it. He says to come, and then he says, take. He says, take my yoke. And he later says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What does that mean? It's, a, it's an agricultural reference about an oxen, for example, that has a, has a yoke that it puts on and they tie ropes to it and it pulls a wagon or a plow or whatever it might be. Here's what's interesting about this passage. He doesn't say there won't be yokes. There will be challenges in life. You will have to choose a yoke. Just which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose the one of other people's expectations, the one of self-justification, or you're going to choose the yoke that leads to productivity, which actually turns out to be easier than the others. What he's referring to is a relationship with him. He says, you want peace with God? Come to me. You want to learn to live in peace? You want to learn to have peace that God provides, that comes from God? You walk in my ways. You take the yoke, the discipleship, the learning that I am trying to give you, and you'll find the yoke is easier and the outcome is better. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The truth is we will have burdens in life. We're all going to have burdens. You want man-made burdens, the burdens of living up to others' expectations, the burden of trying to earn your own salvation, or you want the burdens that God... By the way, this yoke thing, is, it's about a custom fit. The reference here is a yoke that is custom fit to the animal, so it causes the least amount of pain, the most productivity, and that's what God does for our life. We quit trying to live out there, trying to earn it, and just say, God, what is it you want me to do? How is it you want me to live? And he says to take that and then learn. Learn how not to just have peace occasionally, but to live in, to walk in peace. He says that it's because he is, he is gentle that he is, he is gentle to us. That means that we can learn to be gentle, not reactionary, not controversial, not bickering and conflicting with others all the time. We can be gentle being strong in our relationship with God. We can be gentle and we can be humble. We don't have to pretend that we've got it together. We don't have to pretend we're okay. We can simply say, nope, I'm just another traveler. I am just another sinner saved by grace trying to become who God wants me to be. And because he is with me, he is on my side, I don't have to react because I have a strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. This is about Philippians 4, 6, 8 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't think your way to peace. Transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you begin to walk with him, you know him more and more as the gentle and, and, and humble God. It's, it's a reference to an Old Testament servant leader kind of thing. As you know his character, you can relax, be less reactionary, less, less conflicted about your life. Your life becomes to be about something, about someone, about Jesus, and then everything else, saving the world, doing whatever it is you're going to do, whatever God's called you to do, 
all those other good things, whatever it is, it comes secondary to walking with God. And then you can live in peace as a gentle and humble human being. If our life is simplified and unified around Christ, we are a different kind of person. He talks about rest for your souls, walking in relationship with him, living in peace, being humble, being gentle is a restful way to live. And that's what he called us to in this passage. Contrasted to the craziness of the Pharisees trying to keep the rules, trying to catch others not keeping the rules. The reality is we live in a crazy time. I believe that. I don't know that any time in history wasn't crazy, but I know this time, and it's crazy. There's a lot of crazy expectations, a lot of crazy thoughts, a lot of crazy ideas out there. But at the end of the day, I know where to find the truth. And if I will choose to live by the truth that I find in God's word, I will live a much more peaceful and productive life. I'll be a much better husband, a much better father and grandfather and pastor and friend if I keep my life centered on that. So today, if you are weary and have, in the King James, heavy laden, you're carrying a lot. He says, I will give you rest. What is in your life that's bogging you down? What's holding you back? False understandings, self-justification, not walking in a relationship with him in a humble way. What is it? Today you have the opportunity to change that, to do life differently, to do life better. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord, I'm not frankly sure that anybody understood today's message, but I really feel like it explains so much about the society we live in. The neighbor not speaking to neighbor, people on different ends of a political spectrum, not just disagreeing with each other, but hating each other and thinking each other to be evil. Lord, there are explanations for the mess we're in, and it begins in our own hearts. It begins with me. It begins with these folks here. Lord, today, let us examine ourselves. Have we bought into some false narratives? Have we made some things more important than they should be? Have we not sought you? Have we not come to you when we're tired and, and weary and too much has been put on us and too, many, too much information has been thrown at us and too many expectations have been assigned to us? Lord, let us stop today, even now, and turn to you. And know that we're okay with you because of what Christ has done. Because our Lord and Savior didn't just offer to do something. He did something. He bought our freedom. He paid for our peace. He did what was needed to do so that we could be reconciled to our creator God. And if we live outside of that, we have no excuses. And so today, Lord God, help us live in relationship with you. Help us take joy in the peace that you extend to us. Help it be a better day starting today because we have turned our hearts, our minds, our entire selves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So about 50%, 50%, not bad, not bad. Hey, let's stand together. Turn to somebody and say, I wasn't as painful as I thought I was going to be. Go ahead. See you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.